Well, I've been I've been debating in my head over the past few days if I should if I should explain what we're going on here. I've thought maybe you know you do it at the first, or maybe you do it at the end, or maybe you don't do it all. But I think I think I don't know. You tell me if you think this is true, Brandon. I think it's worth it for the first time we do it at least to explain up front what 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 our situation here is. I think this is it, but this will be the only time that we yeah. actually force people to like listen to what we're going to talk about rather than talking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So 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 we'll, we're we're figuring this out in real time as we're doing it, doing it live. Uh and but I think the idea here is that we're going to in in this probably like software defined talk members only feed. So if you're listening to this now, either it's sometime in the future and we've just totally table flipped this whole model and I've made this public for you to listen to, in which case Merry Christmas. Uh, but like, uh, otherwise, you know, you have to sign up to pay at least like a dollar a month and, uh, you can become a member. Many people have many as in two have signed up to do something more than a dollar, which is great. So anyways, this is sort of like the little treat for member stuff. And I think what we'll start to do is I I wrote some overly extensive notes and perhaps we will provide those for free. I think, uh, being a white paper analysis show, I will try to publish them as a PDF because that, uh, that would make sense. So, uh, but anyways, what we're going to do is select a white paper, and by white paper I mean like a uh, a survey or like an, an actual white paper, like a PDF that someone's done, but something that's not just like a news story, something that, as we used to call it at four five one research, is a study uh, that that's that's going over something, and and it's just it's just a blatant steal from if you listen to the weeds, they do a little white paper analysis uh, at the end of some episodes which I think is always is always delightful. Um, but essentially the format we're going to follow is just kind of go over the content that we have and broadly what we think about it. And as, as I'm always want to do, I'll add in my perspective of sort of like what's what's the con- – I would call it context or the meta-analysis, right? Or those are two separate things. The context is sort of like what are other things in this area saying that are not mentioned here that are helpful for understanding it? And then the meta-analysis is sort of like – who should be reading this? What do you do with this? How does this fit in as a tool to whatever it is you're doing? And uh, I don't know. You think that's a fair description, Brandon? I think it is. I think that gives us plenty of rope to do whatever we want because ultimately that's really what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, you know, I, I just I'll, – I'll try to limit my off-topic comments to a minimum, but I was, I was reading through that most recent uh, partial transcript of the New York Times interviewing Trump. And I know people are always – they were. there's some people who are all over the interviewers about babying him, which, which sure. But, um, you know, as someone who's slightly interviewed people, uh, there is a technique called, you know, just keep deploying the rope. Keep them talking, and it's evident. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's what's going on there. So anyhow, the, the paper this week I, – I don't remember how I selected this, but uh, it's a PricewaterhouseCoopers PWC, lowercase the W, as I recall – and it is there. Let me read the title of it. It's the Global Digital IQ. That's a registered trademark survey colon 10th anniversary edition. It's their 2017 one. Now, this is a, a pretty short paper. It's about 30 pages. Uh, you know, what's int- one of the to, to go all meta at the beginning. And then I'll, I'll give a brief overview. And then and then, well, we'll have Brandon give a brief overview. And then I'll come in and, and, and fill in my my stuff about it. But one interesting thing to note right off the bat about this paper, no lead gen required, right? Like it's just uh, – it's totally like you just p- click on a link and you don't even have to give them a fake email address and you get the PDF, which which is an interesting thing to contemplate. And I do remember how I encountered it just to and, – and then we'll go to this, uh, you know, a summary of it is uh, I was just reading through my 
what, who who tweeted this? It was Professor Rita McGrath who wrote this excellent book, uh, Transient Advantage. You should definitely go read that book if you're the kind of person who's listening to this, uh, going all over how the idea of uh, Porterian, Michael Porter's competitive advantage is now shifted because things move so fast. Like, that pitch sounds terrible, but it's a, it's an excellent book. So anyways, she tweeted like a, a Harvard Business Review article, HBR kind of going over this, and you go and read it, and you're like, oh, some some press people at PwC, they scored a write-up a uh, a little native advertising in HBR and it's not even tagged as native advertising but it's basically just like hey we did this survey that is a this sort of useful uh, on its own right and is a huge amount of lead gen for bringing PWC business so let's get them HBR people to uh, publish in their $100 a year published quarterly uh, magazine and uh i mean i i guess as you can tell i think that's a little like cheap but whatever I mean, numbers like this are hard enough to find that uh, you kind of will take whatever source. So, Brandon, what's what's your summary of what's going on, what what they go over in this paper? Well, I think the the main thing about this paper, right, is, you know, they kind of get into this digital IQ, which is obviously a phrase that, you know, it's been around for a while that they've, um, I guess, you know, kind of, it looks like this paper's tried to kind of, you know, coin that, if you will, maybe 10 years ago. So I think, you know, what they're really trying to do, what they're appealing to, I think, is like, first, let's start with, like, the potential readers. Like, who are they really, you know, trying to talk to is that most large businesses today, especially ones that are not, like, digitally native, all of the people running those businesses every day are bombarded about, like, doing more things on social networking and digital marketing. And I'm sure they are constantly asked about that. So, I think this is really trying. What it's trying to do is just give an overview of like both where it stands today and where they should go in the future. And if you think about that reader base and what they're, and I think the other thing that this paper does a good job is like I think they sort of presume that the reader kind of knows that yeah we should be doing more digitally. So what, maybe we're just a big insurance company in the Midwest somewhere. So there's like I think a real understanding with that reader base that it should be able to. But this paper. Has and I think this is why you don't have to lead gen yourself. Is got you know just a ton of statistics in it, right? I mean, almost every other page is some type of percentage. And I think what they like about that, and this is why back to the lead gen comment, is they hope that people are taking these statistics and including them in their presentations to help justify mm. doing more. Because um, this is, and I think you know, hopefully the people that are actually doing that are citing the source. So this is why, like in um, Security, uh, a much longer paper is this Verizon uh, security report that comes out every year. And it has like all these statistics about attacks and things like that. And it gets used like all the stats get used like a million different ways by vendors and companies, right? Uh, so in this case, what you're seeing here is like I think they're trying to target like, hey, I'm a CIO. I'm in some company. I'm trying to justify and kind of, uh, if you will, compare myself to peers where we are in digital marketing. And this is stuff that they can use in their presentation to either show that they're doing a great job or potentially they need more money to do some type of initiative. And then PwC, right, of course, you know, is going to get that affinity branding because they're either cited in the paper. And then I'm sure some people are going to call PwC and want to know more information about it. So that's kind of what I see. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I think I think you uh, you nailed the the utility of it, right? Which is, uh, uh, I mean, it 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 serves this good um, marketing by being useful <laughs> function, um, and 
and like you know so there's and and it's very reminiscent of uh the the devops reports right which are another exercise in marketing by being useful in addition to just being genuine uh, if you will uh nowadays like if you sort of like talk about the whole full history of like i don't know the eight or ten years some of those surveys are a little uh a little funky but nowadays i think the past three or four years they've been at least as i understand pretty legit but yeah i mean and then this this uh this overview, uh, it even uses some of the same terminology from like uh, the DevOps reports, like high performers and, and things like that. Um, I think their explanation of what a high performer is, is a lot more clear than what the DevOps reports kind of do. It's always a bit of a mystery to figure out how they figured out high performers. I remember I talked to uh, Nicole about that once, and I kind of have an understanding, but it's not as clear cut as this. And I forget, like, I, I should look this up in my notes, but what were high performers? They basically like had had a, uh, uh, I think it was like five or 10% of their growth was driven by like new technologies or something like that, which I think is a, uh, uh, a pretty good way to like define it. And, and so anyway, so you're, so the, the sort of content, I think, I think you're right about it is this is one of those like we all know digital something and we should define what it is and then figure out how to, from a high, high level, like SVP management perspective, what to do about it. And, you know, I think my summary of, of what that is, is digital uh, basically means giving, they only use the word agile twice, which is interesting, but you want to be able to change your IT around more frequently and most importantly, the things that digital people do is they focus on the, as we used to say, the user experience. So they spend a lot of time on the human computer software experience, and they go directly out to like whoever the users are, the customers or internal employees, and they make that better. And that's, everything is kind of drug along by that, right? Like, so, you know, digital is not like, uh, not just going paperless or it's not just like putting an ERP system in place, but like that. And it's, they don't really do a very good job of, of um, making this clear as much as like I'm trying to, but I really think what they're getting at is like software development, like all that DevOpsy stuff. And to a limited extent, maybe it's also just like wherever people are interacting with, with your, uh, with your IT stuff, you should make sure it's well-designed and works well, which that that seems like a fair summary. <laughs> and and I think to you know to add contrast to it, right? Like I've always been interested in uh words like I you know, I like words and phrases people use, just the symbols. And you know, I think my theory is that a while ago, uh when as as you were talking about, when people were freaking out about digital, a lot of it and I think this is why you would see like chief digital officers and you used to see this from all sorts of people that the digital initiative was driven from the uh, from marketing. And so I think a lot of what digital was for a while was basically like figuring out what to do in Facebook, like figuring out advertising and figuring out social things. And so there's almost a uh, there's a bit it's not as strongly done here, but I think they do cite something or it's, it's I think it's maybe a McKinsey article I found that cites that there are very few chief digital officers uh, anymore like that didn't really pan out. And so in this paper, you can see this kind of motion of like, let's pull back digital into centralized IT. Like it's really an IT function, not a bunch of weird like shadow IT stuff uh, running around, which um, which also seems fair. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think that's what, you know, part of the paper they, they spend time doing. And it's always kind of interesting to set up 
see kind of what they're trying to set up. And I think that the point they're trying to make is, one, hey, 10 years ago, it was about like kind of just IT cost reduction as well as just kind of like embracing some marketing um, techniques around digital marketing, right? And so if there's one thing in this paper that comes through, and it's like almost every other headline starts to talk about something around the customer experience, like the customer experience dividend, for example, um, um, people power, why human experience matters. Like, the, you know, really the bulk of the paper is just trying to make the case that the focus now needs to be on the entire experience rather than just deploying the technology. And exactly. I, I think it's well the kind of thing that, like, I almost feel like every single discipline of business somehow says this right like you go read marketing it's about like you know creating a connection with the customer creating content that's valuable to the customer if you go to sales it's all about creating a story to tell the customer um you know devops in a lot of ways is a response to uh, agile which was a response to like hey we need to talk to our users and quickly add features and functions that they want and make the product better right so like everybody is saying this so and i, I like to think like you know um, a phrase I like is like, you know, empathy is the new innovation, right? It's not so much that people don't know how to, um, you know, build a database, backup databases and build complicated software. In fact, you know, in 10 years, we actually have quite a few developers in the world that are pretty good at that. What's not good is people always having the empathy to build the right thing. And, you know, this is where mm. human nature, right, is to kind of understand a problem pretty well and then go to your office or your home and just build it right and then stop talking to people there's just no there's no getting around it like it's like we're always going to want to like talk to the people around us and we're going to always kind of like cluster ourselves and that will always create some detachment which we lose our empathy right so you know that's you know and it's a good point to make so i don't think it's not valid it is just very very difficult to, and this is why I think like you know hundreds, maybe thousands of business books are published a year. Is like no one has it figured out. Like no one can figure out how to like perpetually stay in touch with their user base. Um, and so this is just you know an example of a paper saying like, hey, to get the biggest values, that's what you need to do. But it is tremendously hard. Yeah, yeah, no. So so there, there's there's a, there's, a, there's a lot going on there. But for I, I went and looked up just to, just to footnote this the. Uh, the way they categorize top performers is that uh, they've reported revenue growth and profit margin increases above 5% for the past three years and are planning for 5% in the next three years. I mean, you know, the future is a wonderful place of who the fuck knows what will happen. But like, so they at least have three years of proving that they can increase uh, growth and profit. Now, uh, as, as I wrote in my little notes, like there's not a strong uh, causation necessarily to IT being there, but whatever. You know, it, it could be because they uh, offloaded some like terrible businesses or they acquired something. I mean, all sorts of funniness or not funniness could be going on, but they are companies that are doing well. Right. And uh, you can see our extensive commentary on the halo effect for like the dangerous things that can go when you do that way. But so back to your point, I mean, I think I think that's the main area that like the paper falls down in is they don't really like tell you what to do. They They, they don't really give you tactics for the real world right and to be fair it is only 30 pages right mm -hmm. and, and it is like marketing material but you know like for example i said they only mention agile twice and one of the mentions is just sort of like the throwaway like businesses need to be more agile right um and 
they don't really mention something like DevOps or um, maybe it says cloud in there, but there aren't really like tactics about what should one should do beyond, um, as I would say, like the end state, right? So there is there is mention of having um, what do they call them? They don't use the of course they don't use a pivotal terminology, but you know the the unified teams that share a role and having more designers and and things like that. And I think in the there's one interesting part, which which of course. Uh, you know, and this kind of commentary isn't meant to be cynical. It's just sort of explaining how this stuff happens. But there's a skills overview of how companies think they're doing, and what people are lacking in skills. You know, is an indication uh, in a paper like this of of what you should be doing. <laughs> uh, and so, like, you know, there's like inflexible and slow process, and and outdated technology, and not collaborating between the the business and IT. And I think, to be fair, right? Like, I think. For the audience, something this is targeted at, it's probably okay not to get too into the details, but there are three one-page case studies in here, and I think, I, I think, I think of all of them, it's kind of weird. The Pernard one, uh, which is is that like wine and liquor? That's one of the more interesting ones. There's actually some some scant details in there, but you know, they don't really illustrate like the hurdles or the obstacles or like how we got over this because, because what you said is, is, is like spot on is like, we all know we should be doing better, right? Like we know we need to do things quicker. And I've heard about this cloud thing, but like, for some reason, like we can't get past it. So like, what, what is the survey says or successful ways to increase revenue, <laughs> right? Like, well, like, what, what, are, think- what are things that worked to push things forward? Well, I was going to say, like, I think the paper, so, you know, it it really exposes in a weird way and not intentionally the dilemma, the problem, right? So if you look at this chart that's on uh, page 16 of the page, uh, paper, right, it says experiences and afterthoughts. So what they do, right, is they kind of essentially ask, asking people, what value do you expect from your digital investments, okay? And so then they, you know, basically what they find, right, is the top three, right, that people want from their digital investment. What do they want to do? They want to grow revenue, so 57% said that. Mm-hmm. They want to increase profits, you know, 12% said that. And then they want to achieve cost savings, 7%. So all three of those are saying the same things. We want to make more money. And how do you make more money? Well, you make more, you sell more things and you make them more cheaply. So they're all three of those answers are saying the same thing. Now, then they say the last two answers to that same question where are the lowest ones where they say, well, 10% of the people say they want to create better experience and only 2% say they want to innovate our products. But if you take like the final two answers and you link them back, it's like, yeah. well, how do you grow revenue and how do you uh, save money? Well, you do that by creating a better experience. And if you use innovation here as a shorthand for you know, empathy – or you know, creating new products, and I think this is a whole other discussion we can have about how the word innovation is sort of overused, and I think it sometimes it means like people just like you know, kind of unstructured research that has no meaning. But I, I kind of think innovation is really more about in our chosen domain, what can we do differently to solve yeah. you know existing problems better? And I think this is where the paper kind of falls down. It's like I wish they had you know kind of like if I had been designing this graphic, right? I would I would sort of have an arrow for like. The things that people are expecting the least are actually the ones that if you did would contribute the most to growing your revenue. Yeah. And to me, this is like, you know, the number one problem 
in all of business is that we get so hung up on you know creating the the next presentation for the next customer meeting and looking at what we have and making it better that we don't focus in on you know kind of the first principal issue of the company like what are we creating why is it better and does that value proposition still hold true so um you know that's that's where i think this paper like actually offers up some data but you kind of have to draw that conclusion yourself yeah yeah no i and, and i think i think this chart the uh the uh the one you're talking about and i think this is probably the the best most important chart in the whole report and and if if you're as as we'll get to uh i i am not of this thought if you're interested in emerging technology stuff there's another chart that is like the most interesting chart the second most interesting one but you know, I, I, I would I would add to what you said, like, I think and the paper is aware of this. I mean, it even says uh, the details tell another story. Uh, you know, it's aware of this contradiction. And again, being sort of meta level, uh, finding a gap like this is essential for signing a deal to help someone out. Right. Like you got to figure out where the, where the issue is. But there is like this. And this again, this is part of like the frustration of how you put that in place is um I mean, you and I read a lot of business books <laughs> and this kind of stuff. I don't know what our problem is, but I mean, I'm sure, I guess I have, I should never be categorical, but let me be hyperbolically categorical to make a point. I don't think I have ever read a satisfying explanation uh, proving that doing innovation makes your company more successful, right? Like it just like, there's always a leap of faith that occurs in a narrative. And then even worse, like infamously in a book like In Search of Excellence, three years later, the companies have tanked, <laughs> right? And and like, and I, I noticed this, I've, I've been studying up on what enterprise architecture is. And, and I have a favorite 2000 book so far, far called Enterprise Architecture is Strategy. And there's a great example of this where they're like, um, I forget if it was Delta or another company. And they were like, Delta did this awesome job of doing their enterprise architecture and enabling their business to blah, blah, blah in, in a good way. And then it's like, unfortunately, three years later, something terrible happened and the business was in poor shape, <laughs> right? And so it's just like, that would be, even if all they did is on this chart is they had some sort of arrow pointing back to revenue, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> but, but there needs to be more emphasis on like, hey guys, the way you grow revenue Right. One way you grow revenue is there are um, there are what would you call it? Uh, there are, for lack of a better metaphor, war tactics. Right. So you there are zero sum tactics. So you can defeat or damage your competitors so that you're the people left standing to give money to. Right. Um, you can also uh, optimize your costs. Right. So your costs are worse. Oh, your costs are, are better which may allow you to not only have more profit, but will give you room to be more efficient and sell more into the market, right? Another way that, and again, this is the thing we're circling around, is like you could also come up with something new or some new and better way of doing something, do R&D, which, um, yeah, it's really like I've never really found a satisfying rock-solid proof of that. You just have to yeah. faith. No, I, I think, you know, and again, this is why I don't like the word innovator, innovation. I, I think like the words I kind of prefer, like, you know, either empathy or things like just experimentation. Like I, I think that's maybe the best metaphor yeah. is just attempting to build a, an organization that wants to learn, right? And and how do you learn? I mean, the, this is just the most basic thing I'm going to say, right, is that – Hey, you learn by first acknowledging that you don't know everything, right? That like you may have a strong business going on here, but 
you know you want to grow and you know you need to try some new things and you know you need, need to de- uh, validate those ideas. So one, admitting that like every new idea that you come up with won't be great. So that means not overburdening them with huge expectations, which means not investing like you know 50 people in um, – you know if we look down at the, the list of new trends, like I don't know if I would put – you know if I was a small company, I'd be like, let's put 1,000 people on 3D printing. Right or augmented, you know, yeah. or drones. Like these are all really interesting things, but it's probably worth if you're depending on the domain of your company, right? It is probably worth putting a couple people on looking at that technology through the lens of the domain and yet your customer experience and figuring out is there something that you should do? Like AI today, you know, is sort of becoming meaningless. But I think most companies that have a lot of data, like, should they hire a consultant to maybe help them learn a bit about machine learning and do a little bit of uh, a pilot project or just like a proof of concept about what could be done with their data? Seems like a very reasonable thing to do. Should they, you know, announce, you know, should every company be announcing a, you know, next generation AI platform for their chosen domain and like putting millions of dollars? You know, that's where you kind of like this is the the, the struggle all companies have, right? And I, there's going to be somebody pounding the table like I want to grow. Let's go out and let's like start a huge marketing campaign. And there's going to be other people like let's experiment and figure out what we what it is that we can do and then build it. So you just got to find your this balance in an organization and I think you know the the organizations that are smart enough to be like we need to constantly be experimenting we need to keep yeah. looking at stuff and you know you can use any of the chosen popular tools to do it agile's fine devops fine design thinking is fine right I mean there's just like a million different ways that this goes on it's just embrace the the uh, the how, however you want, but just you know just acknowledging like we're going to do experiments, we're going to test them, and then we're going to make decisions. Yeah, and 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 so so like going off that into to a few other other few other uh, footnotes I wanted to do. we and uh, so so we should finish out this just just like thinking out loud. Here. We should finish out this part and then we'll do the emerging tech section and then talk about like uh, how various people would use this tactically if if, if that sounds good. Like so, um, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I find myself making this this uh, joke. Uh, a lot that that you're kind of alluding to, which is um, much of the benefit of following a new process is because you were never following a process previously, <laughs> right? <laughs> which 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 is your point of like you, you can call it DevOps, whatever it is, blah blah blah. I don't care, right? Like you, you should just figure out. And and I think I think there's two parts of that, at least at least parts that I care about. One of them is just the day to day having a process, or a word that I like to use, having discipline. To follow a process, and that's something that I think is one of the things that is most valuable about Scrum or XP or or whatever DevOps is. I think DevOps is more or less codified pretty well nowadays, thanks to you know Nicole and all her friends over there. But like, it's just like follow these processes, like actually do this. <laughs> And, and, you know, to use my favorite analogy thing, it's sort of like whatever diet and health stuff you want to do. If you just follow it, it will probably for the rest of your life, it'll probably work out well, right? Like you just got to do something and do it consistently. So I think that's a huge part of, of why, I mean, of, of what's kind of scurrying around here. And also, you know, again, for a consulting shop, what will be a huge benefit is like 
there probably is not enough discipline and well-defined process that people know that they're following. So you bring something in and, you know, using the old, the old Bainian metric from the seventies and eighties of if your management consulting is successful, does it cause a, I don't know, a rise in EPS or some nonsense, right? Like, does it basically make your financials rise well enough such that your share price goes up and, you know, doing something will probably result in good things. <laughs> and yes, I, I mean, I mean, I like to emphasize that because I get a lot of these questions of like, you know, when I'm out there for pivotal stuff, like when I shift over to this, like, what do I do? And it's just like, well, something is the first thing you're going to do, right? Like, <laughs> so, um, and I, and I think at this level for this audience, there's like two things that I've noticed in, in the DevOpsy cloud native world that are, that are very valuable. And one of them isn't cited that much, but you remember that book, uh, business model generation that was really popular in, I'm going to say like 2012, back when there were still bar camps and lean startup and things like that. And it's, uh, you've seen that book, right? It's called business model generation. We, we, I don't we, know. I don't know if I know that one. Yeah, you you would you would recognize it because okay. what it has. Let me look this up. Is it has uh, it has that goofy cartoon, right? It's all like a cartoon book, and like um, it uses like architectural drafting um, uh, fonts. Is that type letters? And but its core is like this business model canvas, and it's basically like a. Uh, a um a version of Michael Porter's like big old blunt arrow wedge thing, right? So it's got your key partners, your activities. It's even got channels on there, Brandon. Like when I see the word okay. channels somewhere, I'm like, these people know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> oh, it's on right? channels. Like, channel is some deep level. That's some deep state knowledge right there. That's like going to worship the owl god. Uh, so <laughs> like. And then it's got your – basically what it does is this business model generation thing forces you to understand how the fuck your business operates and, and the, the ecosystem, the partners and everything it's in, right? And, I, and again, and I am not putting down business model generation stuff at all. I think the value of it is that people previously had no idea, right? And this, this, is, this is the mark of, I think, a – to go meta-meta of business thought leadership that I like and that I think is effective is that – it's not so much that they come up with a new idea. It's that they come up with a simplified way that lots of people can execute on that idea, right? And so, like, I don't know if you've ever tried to read Michael Porter's Competitive Advantage, but it's fucking useless, right? <laughs> like, it's very dense and not helpful, right? Like, especially <laughs> nowadays. Like, I've read it because, like, not because I'm great, but because that's the kind of stuff that I like. But, like, a normal person reading that who cares more about life <laughs> would not have the tolerance for it. Anyways, um, there's actually a really good book called Understanding Michael Porter, I think, that is is a much better sort of like the cliff notes on it. So then the other the other tool I think that's that's effective that comes up all the time is uh, value stream mapping, right? And there's there's one of those like seventy hundred dollar books that's spiral bound that the profit margins on that must be insane that you can buy from like the value stream mapping society and it's great right they've got value stream mapping for there's one book for factories and then there's one for back office and they're good they're just like here's how you fucking understand how your business works right um right. and so i think and that's another another signal of where the paper falls down is like i'm pretty sure as i'm doing right now what people should be doing is recommending doing those two things or doing one of those things. It's just like, here's what's going to happen when PwC comes in. First thing we're going to do, make a value stream map, 
And maybe right. that's a bit of the – I'm trying to find a new analogy for this because it's about like having um, – taking advantage of people who uh, otherwise wouldn't have sex with you but tricking them. is It's a cow milk situation. Um, but – you know, it's it's those kind of tactics uh, that would be nice, and then and then rounding it up, and we'll see if you have any uh, in any any addendums to this. But I think, you know, I think um, when when did DevOps thinking come back? I think I think Schaefer's presentation about agile infrastructure, which is my mark of the beginning of DevOps, is like from two thousand seven or so. If you ever get a chance to look that up, it's wonderful because you're like, oh, we were kind of done back then, um, but. Uh, ever since then, I've gone back and forth every 12 or six months about like, I'm sick of talking about culture, but nowadays I'm in that phase of like, and I, and I see, I see my, my buddy, Andrew Schaefer do this the best where he talks a lot about the stuff that's on the other side of the leap of faith, right? Like here's the monkeys on the ladder and you got to do this and you got to think this way and you just got to try and I mean, after being out in the, the sort of field for about three years or so, I mean, I think that's kind of the only approach. <laughs> like you got to talk about it just as you were doing, Brandon, right? You got to be like, I have very few answers for you, except that you need to experiment and you've got to try things and you've got to work on your culture and tool for management tools like a value stream map or a business model generation. Those are important for like tidying up your house, you know, cleaning the kitchen so you can make something. But at the end of the day, you got to know how to saute the onions, right? Like you're going to need to know these skills and just have faith that, that you should be doing these things. Um, and so it is like, I don't know if there will ever be an answer. I think case studies are good. Like, I think that's the only fallback and why I talk about uh, ad nauseum, like success stories and failure stories I've heard is it's, I call it like the bridge jumper thing of like all these other people have jumped off the bridge. So now it's your turn, right? It just makes right. it safe. Right? Well, this is something I, you know, there's you know, some way that, something we can influence you know and maybe that's you know too big a, a leap at this point but i often wonder i wish that you know that books could almost be you know broken into two process uh two parts right is you know there's always the need to like evangelize an idea and to do that a book d- does need to have like be like really interesting to read it usually means it has like lots of interesting anecdotes and stories into it some facts some figures right and it's that's all about like creating interest in something right but then you know and what and a lot of books do that right but then the second part the how part right is often like woven into the same narrative right so you got 200 pages and it's like some cool stories some fun, fun facts and then there's like these parts of the chapter were like, well, this is how you do it. And it's kind of like a checklist and it, it's kind of not, not very exciting to read. And I've always thought like really what you want in these books is like take anything, right? Like you want a short book. Like I think the DevOps fable, um, I just forgot the name of the book, but you know, that's been written kind of does this, right? They kind of like tell the story of before and after of these projects, but they're also weaving a lot of like how to do it. But if you just sort of like kind of came to like, listen, I'm going to write a short book that's a quick read that kind of just gives you like the interesting why, get, has the stories that's maybe even, you know, dare I say fun to read, right? Um, and then, you know, and then, and, and then if, if you want to call it uh, chapter or part two or just another thing, it's like here's the free downloadable PDF, right? That explains the process, <laughs> yeah. that shows the meetings, that shows like to just get you going, right? And I think I've seen lots of books like, um, you know, like growth hacking is a big thing. There's this thing called hacking growth. They have these templates, right? Uh, design thinking is another one that's relatively new, and there's a whole uh, process around that. I think we've talked a lot about agile, and there's God knows how much agile training, but like it could just be like a 15 to 20 
20-page handbook, right, PDF, right, that, like, kind of just kind of gets you going. Like, here's how you do the scrum, right, you know? And then and then you just, like, I, I would love in my world, in this fantasy world I live in, to just have, like, 50 or 100 of these different PDFs, like, on my, on my uh, machine. And then it's just, like, I kind of just, like, glance through them and I pick the ones that I want to try or the ones that have worked for me in the past. And I just, like, as I go into new projects, I'm like, okay, today, guys, we're going to do some design thinking. Yeah, you've heard about it before. Let's just kind of use this as a template to get going. And then once, you know, everything, the thing that's always the best, and maybe this is where I think Schaefer and, you know, your DevOps crew always goes, it's like, you know, it really works when no one's looking at the process anymore because they've internalized it, right? They've totally internalized the process, which is back to like what culture really means. Everyone is acting in it. And when they break the rules, they totally know why they're breaking the rules and they're 100% comfortable, right, with doing it. And so because they've they've really made that. So, you know, going forward, I'd love to see people take up that challenge, like take your process and all these new ideas and just provide that toolkit out. And then, you know, throughout the the next few decades as we work, we'll just pull them in and use the right process and tools as they evolve. Yeah. Yeah. And there there is there is some reference uh, to perhaps those templates, PWC's BXT method, which I clicked on and it goes to one of those. what would you call it? You know, you know how the kids like to uh, do their PowerPoint presentations in GitHub and Markdown. Yeah, it's basically yes. a web page that looks like that, where where there's just a bunch of one line sentences on a web page, and you've got to like click on things. But maybe okay. maybe that maybe that is some templates. But yeah, yeah, you know, you were suggesting that for my uh, my register DevOps book, and that that is that is a good idea to have like. Uh, so once you read through that blizzard of 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 uh, Gonzo foppery, what are some actual things you could do? And uh, that would, you know, I think that would be a good approach. I, I always appreciate having those. So let let's go to to my favorite part of this paper, the emerging technology section. <laughs> now, now first, let me say, I I you know thinking about it now. Well, there, let, let me talk about it. Talk out of two sides of my mouth. Uh, rhetorically and business-wise, I kind of know why this is in here. But like, given what I want this thing to do, I don't know why it's in here, <laughs> right? Like, like it is. Um, and th- there's a third thing that that maybe we'll get to when we talk about how to use it. But like, s- given that we were saying it'd be good to explain how to do this stuff, it seems like the uh, let's see how many pages this is. The the time they spend talking about emerging technologies could be like much better spent talking about like tactics to put this in place. I mean, there's basically, uh, how many pages is that? 22 to 29, seven pages. And, you know, you could have spent that going over like, here's some tactics of, uh, you know, here's what a value stream map looks like, or here's these sorts of things. But instead, uh, they go over emerging technologies, which I guess they're using as something of a tracer to spin to to rate digital IQ. So kind of easing into it. I guess you could use this as a way of saying like, um, if you want to pursue growth, right, uh, in in businesses, new revenue driven by IT, these, and I've been through these exercises many times, these are the trends going on that can be leveraged uh, to create new growth. And, you know, historically, something that would be worth having in here is to be like, hey, guys, mobile is kind of a big deal, right? Like, and it, and if it was like, when was this debate? If it was 2009 
and something like this had nailed, you should really focus on native apps, not HTML5 apps, that would have been an insanely valuable piece of advice, <laughs> right? But it would never get that tactical. So that, that makes sense. But the, the issue is that they go into all these like wackadoodle, like emerging technology things that are, uh, as I kind of like, uh, I don't know, to be mean, try to eviscerate in my extensive analysis write-up. Like, they're just, most of them are ridiculous. But then one last thing, and then it'd be good good to, to get a your take, and we'll kind of talk about what each of these ridiculous things are. But also exercises I've been through is um, when you're palling around and hanging out with your fellow SVPs and C-suite people and board folks, they are always very interested in all the emerging technologies. I mean, they're like anyone else. This is why... This is why TechCrunch and Recode and the New York Times has a digital section. Like, we want to know about all the gadgets and, and what's going on there. And then and then compounding that is all of those people who are interested in it are expected to know about it as well, right? And you see this in uh, from financial people to, uh, to, to press. It's like, well, what are you doing about AI, right? Like, I, I could imagine, I bet the, the CEO of Caterpillar has had to tell people recently what they're doing with uh, augmented reality. Right. Like how how they're harnessing this. Um, and so I don't know. People like to talk about gadget stuff. But for the most part, like I find stuff like this not helpful. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you have to look at it a couple like, you know, what are you know, who are the readers? And then what what is the agenda? One, I think, is just very, very simple. And I don't blame PwC for doing this, but they simply want their themselves to be associated with all of these trends, because just by putting this in the paper, it's like. If I have a Internet of Things project or I'm thinking about investigating it, right, and I'm not really even sure what I should do, you know, PwC's written this paper. They put this on there. It seems like a natural person to call would be PwC to come in and, like, you know, help you figure out if Internet of Things or artificial intelligence or robotics or any of these things actually um, could help your business. So I think that's on the one hand, you know, that's PwC being very self-serving. And then, two, I think you touched on it before, but this is just, like um, – just this, you know, just this human nature, right? Like, uh, just as like in pop culture, there's always a desire to like kind of talk about gossip, and celebrity gossip is super popular, right? Like, um, tech, tech is just the same, right? We just talk about different things, and like, yeah, this is sort of our, our own, um, if you will, our uh, junk food diet of information. We're just sort of like, well, that's kind of interesting. What's going to go on with Internet of Things, or artificial intelligence, and then we all like. Uh, in politics, every everybody today, every voter is a pundit, and like everyone that works in tech is sort of like a de facto tech a analyst. And we like to all talk about, you know, why like why do we talk about Amazon and Apple and all these so much? Is because you know, one, they we all like aspire to like start companies like that, and two, it's like our own method of like, well, this is what I would do, right? Just like you know, it's not that different than like, oh, so and so is dating so and so, right? Like it's a fun thing to talk about. It's a fun thing to kind of like visualize in your mind. And so, you know, it's okay. You know, I think it's – while it's not maybe the most useful thing in this paper, I, it's sort of like if you made it to page 27, they're giving you like a little dessert. Like here's some nice dessert, and if you want to yeah. – some stats to like go uh, justify your inter Internet of Things project, well, you can do that. If you need some help, call us at PwC. Or if it's just like, hey, you're just flipping through, scanning the paper, like you do stop at this chart and just like, oh, what do people say, right? So it's okay. I think, like I said, every every white paper deserves a little dessert in, inside of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, on on uh, on our podcast, we talk a lot about uh, emerging things or whatever. I mean, I like to think we try try to try to say like, is this a thing that you should be concerned with? And 
and then also for people who care about like the industry, like what's the vendor sports around it. But uh, yeah, yeah, you know, everyone likes it. I mean, and I think, I think, I think you just, just, uh, I mean, I don't know. We, we, we could talk about what the, the emerging things, I mean, it's what you would expect. I think, I think, well, l- let me, let me go over that and then I'll get to the, the budgeting point I was going to go to. Like, I think, so you, you got this chart, uh, what is it? Betting on the internet of things and artificial intelligence on page 25. And it's, first of all, it's got some, uh, not just one bar chart. It's not year over year, but it's what people are planning to do. And, you know, I think focusing on internet of things stuff is probably legit, right? If internet of things stuff is, is thought to be, what if the internet connects to more stuff and we should do something with it, right? Like, you know, we blew like probably $700 on some Arlo cameras. I don't really know if that's a need that the world has, but whatever, right? Like that's something, right? That's $700 that we gave to Netgear and and Costco and other people. So there are uh, new things to be done if you connect stuff more to the internet. So that's probably legit. And there's useful things to do as well, right? No, no problem there. And then, and then my favorite category, artificial intelligence is next, right? And like, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, you know, anyone who, uh, hopefully everyone who, you know, you follow my Twitter, but like, I basically, I like to find things about artificial intelligence and then just jokingly, um, let me tell you some subtweeting rubric here. Anytime I'm talking about machine learning, I'm basically like, this thing is fucking stupid, right? Like, look at all this effort spent on machine learning. Um, so, you know, I, and, and this is some context I pulled out from uh, a Gartner CIO survey. And the number one thing people wanted to focus on in this Gartner thing was what they called advanced analytics, right? And this goes back to a lot of what we've been talking about. I have this sense that like artificial intelligence, one is just like the awesomeness of robots, right? So that's, again, as we both said, is fine. But it's also a lot about like, I, I have never mind advanced, I have no analytics. Like I, I can't, I keep asking them to send me the uh, the unit by unit sales with profit analysis and who's buying it from Ukraine or, you know, from like Poland and no one can ever fucking send that to me. How am I supposed to run EMEA if I don't know what's going on in Poland, right? Like, it's just like people don't have access to this. And I think AI gets hopefully like wrapped up into a lot. Of, I don't know. I mean, AI just seems so crazy as as a thing for corporations to focus on. Now, I am saying that to an IBM person. So I got that going. For well, but before we go through the rest, I think, you know, this is probably a subject of a whole nother po- podcast, but, you know, start with like, where do good ideas come from? And ultimately, where, do, where does growth come from? And I think there's really just two broad categories you can look at it. You can start with like, we believe we've created some interesting technology that we think has potential, right? So it's fine. It's totally fine to start there and say like, okay, like this is doing something in a new way. But then what you have to then do is go experiment with that technology, solving lots of different customer problems, right? To see if you have any product market fit, right? But it's totally valid, right? This is the engineering driven kind of place, right? This is like classic example being like a Google, right? It was like, okay, they went out and they, you know, turned out this like linking thing, this, I'm sorry, uh, this backlinking ranking kind of thing. When they applied it, when they went, um, and they stopped applying it to, funny enough, to like academic white papers, and they applied it to the internet. They were like, whoa, this is awesome, right? But so they, they did some experimentation that led to a great business. The other place that it goes um, that you can start is just like, what are compelling problems, right? Like, I really want to solve this problem, right? Like, you know, a, like a kind of a stupid example is like, yeah, I would like to all, it would be great if we could all travel thousands of miles in one second. So, like, yeah, that's a great problem. Now, is there some technology? 
technology or something out there, some kind of teleportation thing. If there was, then you would say like, well, let me go see and experiment with different technologies. And you can kind of see in transportation being this idea like, well, could we have autonomous cars? Could we have faster trains? Could we have more efficient planes? Right? You know, so you're just kind of like, we know that there's a huge need for people to travel and there's just lots of different technology being applied to it. So kind of this list, right? You know, it's easy to kind of like make fun of it, and I'm I'm kind of with you on that, right? But I think the thing to take away with it would be go back to the empathy, right? Like if you're going to start with a technology, and I think it's I think your point about data analytics is perfect, right? Most companies simply need a clearinghouse, or if you will, want to call it like a scrubbed data source, right? They probably don't necessarily need a lot of advanced machine learning, right? But go figure that out and start with that problem and then maybe based on that data maybe machine a machine learning algorithm would make sense right so i just think you know keep you know as as to me like that's what i take away from these lists right is always like these are internet of things it is an interesting technology i'm glad there's lots of people experimenting with things in the home in distribution and manufacturing um but by far i don't necessarily believe anyone has it figured out and it's very very possible that none of those problems actually require an internet of things solution and you know and that may be fine but hopefully hopefully they're solved a different way yeah yeah well well, three quick things and then we'll go to we'll wrap up we're going a little over our time here but we'll wrap up with like how uh, how people should use it one as they say in the syracusean manian podcast world real-time follow-up i realize it's the ukraine not ukrainian I, I, grew up, I grew up in the 80s, so, like, that's – you got to – or Ukrainian or whatever. You just, I'm, I'm all red dawned out. Like, I, that's, that's my mind. And, and then I think, I think uh, to the credit of the people who answered this, right, if you look at our, our favorite chart, after the Internet of Things and artificial intelligence, basically people aren't paying attention to any of these emerging technologies. <laughs> it's like robotics, 15%, 3D printing, 12%, augmented reality, 10%. And then, and then, and then sadly – so sadly, blockchain, 3%. And, <laughs> and basically, I mean, it's, it's from a vendor perspective, what you want to market to and sell into, knowing what people are saying they're going to do in three years is very important. That's good from a um, figuring out what to sell. But I never pay attention to what people are, you know, like this are saying they're going to do in three years. That's not really like shit will change, right? So, um, and, then, and then the other little thing, I, you know, I'll, I wrote a more commentary on this and I'll cut it off for time. But like, I think it's very notable that there is very in in the survey base there is and, and then in consequently in the paper there is very little discussion of disruption right of worrying about disruption or thinking in a disruptive way um and there there was like one one chart or one answer in particular where like people were not really worried about entrance in the market or or fending back disruptors or things like that and um I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's I, I'm I'm not quite sure what to do that with with that. Like, the, and what did it say? Like the the focus was, you know, this is a chart you're saying is like they're they're focused on uh, revenue growth and costs and disruption. Disruption is not really that much of a focus at all, and uh, and they're not interested in in new things there. Which I don't know. Like I said, I, I'm not really going to discuss it. But there's two ways you could take that. One is like it either means disruption is not that big of a deal in volume, like it might be a big deal if you're like blockbuster. Uh, 
or or in retail. But in most places, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Or they could just be. I mean, this is the the perfect thing about disruption theory is by definition the incumbents find it impossible to know about it and and uh, do anything about it. Like it's a very tightly woven theory in that respect. So that's that's something to contemplate. So Brandon. So what do you think what do you think people should do with this? Let's start with the with the buy side, which is to say if you are if you are like in a a enterprise or whatever, you're uh you you get this this paper, what do you what are you going to do with it? What are you going to use it for? Now uh, other than deciding that you need to hire PWC. Let's take the marketing <laughs> stuff off the table. Well, I think you know, if I'm uh on the buy side, I'm going to read this to kind of just do my own kind of uh, comparison between my co- corporation or my organization and what this paper is saying. Like, where do you believe you are rated to these various statistics? And then, you know, if you feel good with what you're doing and you, you kind of like you feel funded with your projects, then probably it's just something you just, you know, read once, maybe file it away, but probably don't act on it a lot. I think the more interesting thing to do would be pr- I would start grabbing some of these stats. Um, and start to like make the case in my organization that hey, we really do need to go figure out a way to improve the customer experience. And you know, obviously they could call BWC, or they could just go out and say like, maybe we should get some designers in here. Maybe we should hire a few design consultants. Maybe we should do a few pilot projects on people that really spend their lives understanding customer experience in a way that maybe my organization doesn't do or doesn't have those skills in. So this would be has a lot of good stats in here for actually making the case yeah. that that's really the way to do it. So hopefully you can make that case with these statistics and, you know, get funded for your, your next initiative. Yeah, no, I, I think that's spot on. I think, I think, I think if you're not already doing all this stuff, you basically use it to argue. Uh, it's a little late. What is this July for this, but you can start ramping up for next year's uh, budgeting process, which is, which starts with the prioritizing prioritizing process. And uh, you want to use these stats. And, and, and this is why it's good that they talk about top performers, right? To be like, Here's what top performers are doing. Um, and they focus a lot on digital and digital means focusing on the human experience. And then uh, they have a few little stats that you can play around with that actually, to my mind, are not very impressive. <laughs> like, But they have a few stats that like the top performers, for example, uh, they're more likely to have cross-functional teams and do user experience specialists. And 74% of the top performers do it and 65% of the low performers do it, which is like... That that doesn't seem like much of a spread, but there are you know the other one like that's in this little excerpt is like they they use agile methodologies uh, for for things and the stat they have and this is kind of damning is like the stat they have is like twenty two percent of top performers oh it says they use agile methodologies for non software projects right so twenty two percent versus seven and I think if you are really clever the meme you could try to get out there is that top performers use agile over three times more than low performers, right? Did I do that, that devilish math right? You got like uh, seven I times so. 21. And therefore, yeah. therefore, they do it three times more, which is the, uh, the trickery of, of small numbers. But yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think something like this, other than convincing yourself, is just most useful for feeding into the, uh, the, budget, the annual budgeting and planning process. And as Brandon said, uh, making sure you're spreading memes out that are favorable towards you, just kind of, melding the mind of people like there's one figure that's interesting as an example of that where they um uh they they talk about like something like on average 
high performers or someone spends 16% of their budget on emerging technology, their IT budget on emerging technology exploration. So that's an interesting benchmark there or something. But anyhow, so how about on the, uh, how about on the sell side, Brandon? What should sell side people, vendors and people like PwC, what should they use this stuff for? Well, clearly, it's sort of the flip side of the same question. I think this is, you know, for them, it's about creating interest in, you know, people wanting to uh, buy products or services that help people with the customer experience or trying to show people that, hey, you know, you need to to do some technology or um, uh, let me call it customer exploration around some of these new technologies. So I think for vendors other than PwC, I think, again, it's the same kind of thing. Like you can show some um, some of these statistics, right, uh, to hopefully create interest in like, hey, you know, people want to uh, – you know, if, if we're selling some type of product or service and we're trying to, you know, use, get some third-party validation on our slides, we chose some of these things. It's like, hey, this is one way, this is one survey, and this is one of the reasons that you need to be thinking about digital IQ. But I think probably, you know, this is honestly mostly from a, and not surprisingly good for PwC, mostly going to create interest in PwC having their partners come on site and give, like, good presentations. So yeah. I don't know if... A lot of, you know, I would say other, maybe if I was a technology provider partnered up with PwC, right, you'd kind of do some joint go-to-market back to your channels uh, discussion. So maybe you'd send this around and PwC would call you in as like the uh, robotics expert, right, to be a part of their big project. So, I mean, and I think we should kind of say it's like, it's a decent paper. I mean, it's, uh, we read a lot of these, so I think I'm, I'm certainly, you know, can be very critical of them. I think in this case, PwC did put in a lot of work to create some nice survey data. We can always quibble with their survey data or their methodology, but at least they went out and did it. They didn't just write their opinions. And I think that's always, you know, that's the best you can do in a white paper is put something, um, do some original research, put a, put something that you think's rather objective and then put your story around it. So I think, you know, they've done a decent job here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think it's a, it's an example of a uh, pretty good uh, white paper that accomplishes the, the goals it does. And it's actually interesting. And yeah, I mean, just to add to what you're saying, right. I think, I think, I think for a vendor, the, uh, the, the two most useful things, I mean, you know, you, on the buy side, you just totally cherry pick this stuff to help make whatever argument you need to make that day. That's what you do with this. <laughs> right. And it is, it is a good, uh, it is a good, so, somewhat of a good pairing with a DevOps report to, to, to that end. Right. Um, but I think, uh, I think I think the first, one of the things that you could do that's kind of easy is the fact that they chunk out top performers. You can use that, right? Like that, because there is kind of like this notion of causation there. And so anything they say that top performers can do, uh, if if you're trying to market to someone, you can kind of reference that and be like, look what these top performers do. Wouldn't you like to be them? It's sort of like you should get one of those Under Armour shirts that has wicking. Because that, because <laughs> these football people wear it, and that is going to make you live a long time because you have wicking because they they get wicked uh, essentially. So you got to find the wicking points, and then I think um, I think the other part that is valuable is I think I think as someone on the sell side, you're continually challenged with the whole premise of this paper is what the fuck is digital? What do you mean by transformation? Right? Tell me what you mean by this. And their definition I think is is pretty good though, not as straightforward as it should be. But if you kind of read the structure and how they make that argument, it'll kind of teach you how to go over what that discussion is and have a good answer, which I think I think is extremely valuable in in a a customer relationship standpoint because 
you need to have people trust not only that you know what you're talking about, but that you're not bullshitting them. So if you can kind of clearly articulate what digital is, it's it's appreciated. So, uh, yeah, I think overall, you know, it's it's worth like flipping through and ch- and checking out. It's it's uh, it's good stuff. So uh, we'll have to we'll find some other papers. I think this was a good start because it kind of goes over the uh, what people want to do in, in the IT world. And we'll see about delving down into lower level stuff and, and staying at mid level. Um, and, you know, if you're listening to this, it's because, as I said earlier, either I've abandoned this, we've abandoned this thing. But in the short term, you're you're one of the uh, valued, excellent, uh, like, Patreon members. So if you want to help us out, it would be great, uh, you know, other than enjoying this and, and not canceling your, your membership. Uh, but it'd be great to kind of, like, send send the uh, the PDF we have along. And let's be honest, if you want to pirate the MP3, it's not like I'm going to send whoever after you, right? I don't know. Who would I send, Brandon? I don't know, but I was going to say even more important if uh, you want to join our Slack channel, right? Oh, yes. That that would be fantastic because we'd like to interact with you. And then, too, if there are things that you have read that you think we would – that you would benefit from hearing us discuss, we would yeah. like you to either tweet them at us or send us to them on Slack or really however you want because uh, we would like to make this uh, as enjoyable as possible for our subscribers. And and to the meta, meta, meta layer, let me give you people who could help us get our MPS up, right? Here's here's an argument you could make. Uh, you know, hey, you're in the tech industry and you're sick of all this like PDF bullshit. You should, uh, you should check this out and they'll kind of explain why it's bullshit but also what's useful about it and how I can uh, do a close reading that helps me enjoy the the tech world better and perhaps prosper. It's it's good educational content. So uh, with that, this has been a uh, little, I don't know, I thought we should unofficially call this Two White Guys Look at White Papers. That that would be good. Uh, And, you know, I was thinking I might also have some guests come on here every now and then, whether it's white paper or other stuff, just to uh, get this kind of meta layer discussion with them. But this is part of the uh, the Software Defined Talk uh, podcast. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, you can find our regular podcast, mostly weekly. Uh, subscribe to that. And as Brandon mentioned, you can join the Slack channel there, do all sorts of uh, excellent podcast-related stuff. And our Patreon account is just patreon.com slash SDT, which you can also find linked off of Software Defined Talk. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll put, I'll put the, this will be posted in the Patreon account and I'll tweet about it, but uh, you'll be able to see the, the, the PDF or otherwise show notes. And with that, we'll see everyone next time.